five, four, three, two, one, and we're live. Sean O'Connell, thanks for coming in, man. We finally got this in the diary. No problem. It's good to be here. Yeah. What's going on in your life? Uh, it's been busy. It's been, um, it's obviously a challenge trying to adapt to everything that's going on. Like many people, I think, um, you can have all these grand plans and then all of a sudden a a pandemic will change that quite quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how many years you retired from pro rugby now? Were you to retire prematurely? Yeah. Too many concussions, is it? Yeah. So I retired in 2015 and I was playing with, uh, Ealing Trailfinders at the time. And prior to that, I was at London Irish and yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, it was, it was always, um, they didn't finish out their season this year, did they? No, uh, no. Yeah, they were doing quite... They are always a good championship team. Yeah, I think for them it was always how do you kind of break that championship barrier and get into the top tier. Um, I think that's sort of their objective for the last few years. But um, yeah, like you said, I had a, a few concussions, so I had to drop out of that, that many, race. How many is a few? Oh. <laughs> oh, I feel like I've buried my head in the sand with most of them, but I had two very bad ones in the last two seasons. So in my second last season, I was out for about three months. And in the last season, it happened around October time and I didn't play the rest of the season. So I was struggling with vestibular issues. So things like uh, vertigo and, and balance and visual distortions. So for me, the impacts of concussion became quite real. And I think unlike many people at the time, you sort of think concussion was almost like resetting a computer, but actually realizing when you can't remember, you know, your short-term memory starts to go on you, it, it sort of reminds you how serious it is. What's your memory like now? <laughs> it's, a, it's a little better, but to be honest, it was never great at the best of times. So, yeah. um, and like when you got it, you said to me before, I think that... Uh, like you helped out in a couple of drills, I know, was it with the trail finders, was it was London Irish Academy, but you said like even a tackle bag, if it hits you too hard, like your head is fucked. Yeah, I mean, I was I was fortunate where I didn't have that, but I certainly had friends who, you know, it was sort of a, a joke that you'd make in the changing rooms, but wouldn't get out. And you think nowadays with all the sort of player welfare issues and just all the other issues in sport, I mean, I'm not sure if you saw it, but there was, I think Brian O'Driscoll was talking about the use of... Um, like drugs and pain relief medicine and sport towards the end of his career. And, you know, if you're told that you'll get, you know, five, 10 grand match fee if you play this next game, if you take this tablet so you can play the game and you just think, God, like, what has professional sport come to where people are being treated like pieces of meat and you know I think what's sad now is there was actually a, an article out recently with a, an Edinburgh player who was just talking about how he'd become suicidal and yeah. to sort of give your listeners a background my area of expertise now is in psychology and we know that concussion it damages the prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. so the front part of the brain and that's really important for things like your personality but also regulating impulsive behavior anxiety so yeah you can see now actually how damaging it is for people who probably don't know better and that's the sad thing no exactly and you touched on your psychology um credentials and you know what i like about you is you're not one of these you're well you gave up um or retired prematurely from rugby and you're now working with companies and individuals but you're not one of these life coaches who uh, guarantees you a better life and speaking at big seminars you actually have the credentials behind you first class honors in leader management at first class honors in psychology so you've you've the credentials backed up but you study a lot about companies and stuff like that and what I noticed one thing about companies um, the last couple of years is the corporate social responsibility Mm. you know that Mm. category of a company and to be honest I just think 
companies spend it first of all for a branding um yeah. branding purposes and second of all just to take a box so um government or whatever organizations in our industry want to know us so what do you think yeah no i i completely agree i think a lot of it is lip service and i think it is almost used as a tool to be seen as popular and you know to be doing good for society but you kind of wonder like i always laugh when you see like bp for example where they're talking about you know planting more trees and then they're dumping oil in the seas or you know something like that and you just think god like there's an element of just controlling the narrative around what their company really is and i think that's what's interesting is how people and we're seeing it more widely in society in general now is how are people managing their perception to portray something which is favorable or beneficial to them and you know at what point is that true and you know you look at like recently on netflix they've the donald trump documentary and he's such a classic example of someone who's just which one is that is that like dirty money is, is it that one no? uh was that the epstein one dirty money. No, um, no or did donald trump documentary there's, there's a, a couple four, of them going around <laughs> there's a four-part one which i saw recently but they were just talking about his journey sort of from um his father was a property developer how he got into property and then the sort I, of various stages and he was coming i saw the dirty money one and like he was portraying himself as the biggest property developer in New York and he did like four buildings like he was like nowhere near it and then he was in there with journalists um, to write about him being a billionaire when he was worth yeah. or he was worth a lot of money but 150 million or 200 million but still good. it was all borrowed as well so yeah it's, yeah it's all that country lives on borrowed money I suppose every country does now but it goes to just just to show that if you say something enough and if you pretend enough people start to believe it and then at what point does that change where it's actually you know almost the narrative and i think that's what's damaging to society is that actually you're having people who who aren't talking you know reality or they're not speaking the truth and what's that leading to i know for sure but back on the corporate social responsibility mm-hmm. if companies did, really did care like and there's so many companies out there and i was with one company when i first came over here and they thought they were very employee based and we care about the company yeah. but like when you open up the curtains a bit when you go behind the scenes a bit like you were just a profit profit maker like yeah. that's all you are you're just a robot and like think about the amount of people maybe not so much at the moment i think people are probably happy they're just working from home because they don't have to look over their shoulder as much mm. but think of the amount of people who are actually like miserable on a sunday night just getting their clothes yeah, ready for yeah. the week and oh, going on the tube i'll never forget it like going on the tube and there was one morning i was like uh, right i'm gonna put away my phone now and i'm just gonna look around and count how many people are on my carriage yeah yeah I've and done I, <laughs> yeah and i'm just gonna say how many people are on their phone and there's 27 people on the carriage 22 were on their phone and the whole 27 people just looked miserable yeah um and like companies like most of them like I work with three or four now and you rarely ask like oh, how was your commute in or anything like nothing is about your personal life I know you know you're it's, just a complete robot it's funny the the commute in it's almost like the start of like a zombie apocalypse film where you're just like oh my god are these people here are they present or are they just literally going through the motions and I mean you get one life and to think that you're going through the motions for such large chunks of it it's like you know how does that make you feel and to be treated by others as if you're just going through the motions is like how does that also make you feel and you know yourself when people care about you that's when you want to do more that's when you want to do better because you feel like your efforts are being recognized oh for sure yeah um you go into these companies like and 
I remember what the boss said to me, like, you know, you don't, you don't come in uh, early enough. I said, look, listen, man, I come in at 10 to 9, I'm contracted, mm. 9, 9 to 6, like, and he said, yeah. no, but the rest... You should have told me you don't pay me enough. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he said, the rest come in at, at 8.30, and I was like, you know, are you going to pay me a bit more? I'll, I'll come in at 8.30 then, like, it's like, you know, I'm not motivated to, to come in at 8.30 just mm. to be present. And I can guarantee you, anyone who's in uh, before... Unless you're really, really busy, anyone who's going in there, it's just for perception reasons. They're just probably flicking around on YouTube or Reddit or whatever they're doing. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned motivation because there's a really famous experiment which happened, I think it was around like the 1920s or the 1930s. It was called the Hawthorne, Hawthorne Studies. And they went into these massive factories where they were doing... Um, it, I think they were doing light bulbs or something like that, just real, you know, remedial work. And what they found is they were trying to understand how to increase productivity. So they started adjusting all different things. So temperature, light, and what they found is no matter what the light conditions were, the productivity of the employees was improving. And the conclusion they drew from those studies is that what was increasing the productivity was that the employees were, were felt like they were important because there was this research being done in them. It was like, oh, look, they care about what we're doing, so we better do it well. And it's just such an important aspect of motivating employees is how do you give them those, it's called esteem needs. How do you make them feel like their efforts are being recognized and that what they do is important? And within any business, I was having this conversation with a friend. Yeah, with anything. It's if, If it's not important, it doesn't need to be done. And, you know, the company can save themselves a salary or two if it's not. But if it is being, you know, if it is a job role, it needs to be properly situated into why is this so important for the company to perform well? Mm. No, exactly. When you think about it, I was actually thinking when I was walking in here this morning. Um, for a lot of people who are working, um, you wonder, like, how many of your cognitive skills you're actually testing every day. It's probably very few. Yeah. Know, what are the what are them eight cognitive? Is it eight, seven or eight cognitive? Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a load of different cognitive skills. So things like um, attention is one, memory, uh, memory split down into like short term working memory and long term. But you've other skills. So some of the really important ones you've cognitive flexibility, for example, and cognitive flexibility is your ability to think of different strategies and to understand how those strategies would relate to solving a problem. So I always use the analogy of a plumber where if you've a plumber who has high cognitive flexibility, it's like having more tools in the in the toolbox and then understanding how those tools relate to fixing the problem. So yeah, and you know, you kind of mentioned the um how how many cognitive skills are people who are just in there pretending to look busy? How many are they no, using? If, like I was I was <laughs> in a job before I remember every Monday it was just like it was like the Excel and my eyes were fucking bleeding like it was just yeah, yeah. like this button and that oh. button and control and this and that's all it was all day and I was like in my interview like I, I kind of said I didn't this doesn't this doesn't really agree with me like yeah, you know, yeah, I'm kind yeah. of the other side the more creative side the content creation side of it um, and content building and planning is like and then you're just thrown into this that is completely away from your personal values like so how could I be any good at it Do you know? yeah no completely and I think there's two important aspects so one is that we're seeing now increasingly people are starting to have that discussion about dropping working hours to create more product- productivity so going down to a four-day working week in order to you know 
Or, no, or 9 to 3 or something yeah. because if we had 16 hours a day to work like we'd fill up them 16 hours mm. you know it's amazing it, the whole world needs 8 hours to work yeah completely and it's one of those ones as well where we were talking a little bit about burnout and stress just before we started uh, speaking and so much of that is the ability to switch off and it's something which has become very prominent at the moment with people who are working from home is that actually the the lines between work and, and home have been blurred and all of a sudden rather than having that clear zombie moment on the train home where you're you're transitioning to switching off all of a sudden it might be 10 half 10 and you're checking a quick email or you know you're firing off that last uh, message to someone and you know what what's that doing for your off time you know again if you were an athlete you wouldn't constantly run at a you know 12 hours straight you might do two or three hours training have a couple hours off then train again and it's all about that quality of work that you're looking for and being constantly on not only impedes that quality of work but it leads to burnout and stress further down the line which is a disaster for employers as well as employees i think as employees you have to stand your ground on on that so if i'm contracted mm-hmm. right if we're getting a project over line i understand you have to go the extra couple of miles mm-hmm. but set up like an automatic reply after 5 30 mm-hmm. says hi i've limited access to emails till tomorrow morning at mm-hmm. 8, 8 30 then you you have to you have to stand your ground here you know you can't you can't be dipping in and out of work all day you it's it's not good for your um it's not good for your personal well-being mm. definitely not and i think like you said as well being honest with yourself about if this if this job makes me feel terrible why am i doing it and well it, it's grand for us like you know if we don't have any kids to look yeah. after and say that but when you're when you've two or three kids and mm. um you've bills to pay like you have to kind of go through that misery to just keep them alive but that doesn't like that doesn't mean you can start your own side hustle like you know what I mean you, you can just start your side hustle and treat it like a like a, a baby and just grow it and grow it like you know yeah completely um, I mean that's something I've been doing is I you know I do my full day's work and then I, I work in the evenings and the mornings like quite early as well and I, it is just one of those ones where if you want to make change you have to make sacrifices in the short term and you have to hope that you make good sacrifices and they pay off and I suppose that's that whole idea of trying to create a better tomorrow for yourself but you you're right. You know, it's it's obviously a very tough one. Everyone has their own individual circumstances. But, you know, I think for some people, it's more of an issue of self-belief or courage where maybe they just settle to think that, you know, oh, this is grand. I'll, I'll live the rest of my life outside of work. But, you know, why not have both? And, you know, you're such a classic example of that as someone who, who stood up for, you know, what you felt was right decided no I'm going to go off on my own career journey and and has had amazing success what do you think um or what is your most fascinating or research area in human psychology what do you think is your area that you study the most yeah so I, I I've always been quite interested in social psychology developmental psychology and more recently I've been doing a lot of research around well-being and well-being is obviously an area which is it's a broad area now at yeah, the moment. Yeah. I'm seeing well-being yeah. everywhere so let's find your niche here uh-huh. well it's true I mean it's almost become part of like pop culture and you see I, I presented to the British Psychological Society earlier last because I'm gonna cut you I see I get like stuff I see with something about well-being on, on LinkedIn is like not a fucking not a well-being I get it like just get it like like put a different title on or do something else like you know just don't something you don't need to mention the word sometimes for a lot of companies just well-being 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 like you know even just give me something else but yeah, yeah. I continue no I mean it's so true I saw uh 
outside a beauty salon well-being outside a restaurant well-being boots or super drug well-being you know it's, and you, one of the common themes is this term and our understanding of well-being is being diluted so well-being relates to our ability to perform optimally and it's over the lifespan as well which is an important point which i'll come to and it consists of social physical and psychological functioning and that point of about across the lifespan essentially throughout our life we're on this sort of trajectory where if you imagine a graph uh, we're trying to figure out sort of where we'll be in 20 30 years and our ability to improve our well-being puts us at a, a sort of steeper gradient so if you imagine success was or, or performance was on y, on the the y-axis and time is on the x-axis the higher the higher our well-being the more performance uh, gains we can achieve over a longer period of time and you know when you think you know we're obviously quite lucky that we've a lot of access to knowledge at you know the age of you know within our 20s and 30s what's that going to do to us for those people who spend an extra hour a day reading or listening to a podcast or I mean I we were joking about the Joe Rogan experience before we started that I've learned so much from that and I found some of his guests where I've gone into more of their work and there's there's one area particularly relating to nutrition where it's Dr. Rhonda Patrick and yeah she was on quite a bit she was yeah. on recently enough again yeah, yeah. 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 She, she's one of the regulars I was watching even Ben Shapiro I, I like well. to turn her off I think it was like two months ago she was back on but she was just getting way too heavy. I was like, I'm not smart enough to yeah, yeah. To, to, to see this podcast open. She goes into like the real microbiology, and at that point, you get a little bit lost. And I think it's it's important to understand how these things work because if you know, for example, eating broccoli sprouts, they'll like cure cancer or they'll increase your brain's neuroplasticity or whatever the the benefit is. You, you want to know what that is because otherwise, you're like, well, why am I doing this? And you know, to go to well-being, it's like one of the key aspects of well-being is our ability to metabolize glucose effectively so one of the reasons diet is important is well i'll take a step back so our brains they they're about approximately two percent of our body mass but it uses about 20 percent of the body's glucose so it's really taxing and if you imagine our brain is if, if it was a car it'd be like a hummer you know heavy on the petrol but even within that, our prefrontal cortex is even more demanding. And our prefrontal cortex, as we touched on earlier, it's not only is it our personality, but also our ability to think, plan and problem solve, which, you know, is increasingly as we move towards a knowledge based society, is, you know, those are the key competitive skills. So our ability to metabolize glucose means that we can use our prefrontal cortex more effectively. And whether that's trying to solve a complex problem or even little things like manage your emotions. So a typical example of how our ability to metabolize glucose is important for metabolite uh, for regulating our emotions is if anyone gets hangry you know you, you're struggling to manage your emotions because your your prefrontal cortex which down regulates your emotional but it's interesting you mentioned the the evening time or you know the night time because as we go throughout the day we have this almost reserve of willpower and that's our ability to metabolize glucose so if it's this fuel tank as we make decisions or have to exert self-control it depletes our, our fuel tank if you if you like so we see a lot of sort of you know getting tired and and you know losing our way or having a dominoes or the classic one is when you're hungover and we know that sleep is really important for our ability to metabolize glucose but how often do we see that you know when you're tired you make a bad food choice or even worse when you're hungover 
and we know that alcohol it, it interferes with our ability to sleep properly so we're not we're, we're more sedated rather than actually sleeping so all of the important biological functions yeah, it's, not, it's not restful it's not happening and that's why you're you know 11 a.m you know the sunday morning looking at the domino's menu trying to pick out what you're going to have and but then it creates a, a bit of a spiral where because you don't eat as effectively you know if we use the domino's example a lot of saturated fats it's like what's that doing to your mood what's that doing to your energy system but more importantly your inflammation and inflammation is really important and we know it's obviously part of the body's immune response but what we've learned more recently is that inflammation crosses the blood-brain barrier and it starts to interfere with our neurotransmitters and our neurotransmitters are really important for how we feel our mood and uh, to to use an example depression for example it's um it's associated with a decrease of a neurotransmitter called serotonin so antidepressants they block the serotonin reabsorbing um, pathways to increase the availability of serotonin in the in the brain so all of a sudden we're understanding what we eat can affect our mood and we've all been in those positions where to go back to well-being you know well-being is related to increased motivation efficiency resilience um, creativity all these really important skills what would our life be like you know what's your motivation like if you've been on the beers saturday night and you're on the dominoes and yeah it, it drops and you know that's fine as well you know we need to be able to live our lives but if you're really trying to get towards that top level of performance or, or do better for yourself you know just knowing this information of what i eat can improve my mental performance and that will make me more resilient more motivated and even little things so for example micronutrients play a really important role in uh, facilitating the the breakdown of carbohydrates they act as coenzymes and cofactors and we often hear this myth if you're running a marathon you should be carb loading so that we have all these carbohydrates to break down into energy but what we're not told is that actually in order to break that down we need these coenzymes and cofactors and that we can only get those through the micronutrients so if you're not needing enough greens or vegetables like you 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 can have all the carbohydrates but your body's not going to be able to use them as efficiently so um so we're saying the source of carbohydrates is extremely important when well there's there's sort of two elements so you need the carbohydrates but you also need the micronutrients to help convert that into the energy the micronutrients yeah yeah yeah. like i like i went running i'm doing a lot of running lately you know um hopefully do a marathon next year but um i went for a run i went for i done 11 miles wednesday night and i felt awful Uh, it felt like my legs were brittle, mm. <laughs> uh, you know. And, and I, I'd say I'd say I got two thousand calories in during during the day. Yeah, uh, I don't know what really is that enough for probably a ten or eleven mile run. Mm. Uh, and I was kind of home, uh, and that's when I got hangry. I got the dominoes. <laughs> I was like, I was, I, was, I was so I was so I was so angry after the run because they were going like run was going so well, and it was my first bad one yeah. with a long time. And I was like thinking, what what is that down to now? I've yeah nice bit of carriage on the nice bit of protein uh went off my run just feeling good and then it just went about a couple of miles in i said fuck i'm feeling like shit here and uh it's like i should really keep a diary when especially if you're training for a goal like a marathon maybe something more in time but uh, i should really be keeping a diary and, and just try pinpoint it like yeah well there's a good app called my fitness pal and it's quite easy it. yeah you don't it, like sorry. it <laughs> <laughs> i i hate it sorry yeah no you know what it's a lot of effort like but i think any sort of food diary or something you kind of you've this selective memory of like oh yeah i ate that big you know nutribullet juice or you 
I, and you forget about the dominoes quite quickly. But um, you know, I, I remember being told when we were in Ulster, we. Oh, I this, you were in Ulster rugby, sure. Yeah. yeah, so that's where I started out, and it was a fantastic place to to start. I mean, it was so professional. So, and at the time, they had um, they'd got to the semi final of the Heineken Cup in my first year, and the final in the second year. So, you know, the club was in a, an amazing place. But during preseason, the first week, we were given this sheet, and it was sort of encouraging us to build this dissociation between us, who we are, and our bodies. So, for example, you could have this idea that, you know, rather than I failed at the run, it was my body failed at the run. And creating that dissociation really helped me look at it objectively. And I think whenever you see something objectively rather than the more emotional, I mean, to touch on how we how we cope, there's two elements of coping. There's emo- emotion-focused coping and problem-focused coping. And emotion-focused coping is all about how do I feel better about the problem? And it's often to down-regulate that emotional response. But actually, in terms of solutions, the problem focus is much better. So by changing that narrative about how you think about yourself or your body, you see it all the time with people who are who are trying to lose weight where they have two or three good days and then they have a bad day and then they crash. And being able to build in that element of, you know, for you on your run, it wasn't me that failed on the run, it was my body. And then you understand, well, what are the mechanisms that are driving my body's performance? You know, we've touched on nutrition, but there's loads of elements of physiology as well which need to be understood but when you when you understand the mechanisms then you can start addressing the mechanisms without feeling those elements of defeat or as if you're unworthy and you know those are the big things because with anything if you feel like you're not good enough you're you're probably not going to do it whereas if you feel like you can achieve something you're going to persevere and crack on like that's where you make the gains and it seems like so much of today's society and we can touch on sort of social media as well if you want but yeah we get stuck into that yeah there's an area of well-being i'd like to get to start yeah but i think so many people kind of get it in their minds that they can't win and this is something i've been really thinking about a lot you know when i okay, before we, we we're gonna we're gonna push on now it's it seems that we're getting we're getting deep but when you do, when you have a bad workout, you have a bad game, you have a bad run. It, 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 it's a turn. It can be a turning point. It can be a pivoted moment in your training because usually you're bouncing back stronger. You know, you 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 might uh, after a good run, you might go a step ahead. After a bad run, you you might go a step and a half or two two and a half steps ahead. So I think it, it's it's probably healthy to have them really bad. Yeah. angry runs like you know it's it's true and you know there's other values as well which for example how do you build character and resilience if you don't have to persevere through the the bad periods it's like i often think when i'm going through a bad time that's the only opportunity for me to build those important traits and like you say you can we often see it in sport nowadays where it's like you know they're, they're just athletes and they don't have that grid or determination and you know there's an element of that where they're being too molly molly coddled at, at some points but you know also just being able to go look i'm having a bad day but i'm here and i'm going to give it my best and athletes are lazy best especially <laughs> r- especially rugby players oh, you, you should see for, you should see former athletes <laughs> Everything is done. Everything is done. Everything is done for you. Just yeah. Make, you really make the most of your rest time. You know, what? It, it's a funny one because I think on on one side they're obviously hugely spoiled. Like you say, you've all the free protein, you've all the meals, you've a lot of stuff which is very good for you. But you know, there's a lot of sacrifices which you know I certainly made as I. I suppose with anything, it's always you know you. 
it's that comparison and it's are you comparing the whole picture and um i think that's probably one to to always think about well what's not being compared or in what way and you know to sort of think a little bit more about like you know if you're training with a partner you might go oh they had a great run today and i had a terrible run like what's wrong with me and you know just just having that understanding and being forgiving of yourself and knowing you know what i can't always perform at 90 percent but you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to give it my best. And there was a, a stat around Jordan Spieth where I think when he won some of the, the major tournaments, they analyzed his golf performance and they found that he was only playing his top level of golf. I think it was something like 10 or 20% of the time. The rest of the time was his B game and then occasionally a C or D game. But it just goes to show that you know, no one's always at their best. And you know, it's a really nice idea to be pursuing that goal of excellence but you have to be honest with yourself and it's like well what do you do when you're not at that optimal state you know do you give up do you do you just not try and I think that's the important thing is that actually you know these things are peaks and troughs and you have to get through the bad periods as as best as you can and limit the the losses so that when you do get those opportunities you can really maximize them yeah I think as well when you feel like it's not your day and just early on sometimes early in a game I know for some certain individual sports this mightn't be uh, that relevant but you can just change up your game a small bit on that day do you know um, if you if you feel just say in rugby um, you feel not, you're not moving that well you're not feeling that ball carrying that well you can change up your game a small bit it says, it says right I might play a bit more defensive or usually more attacking um, and you see like even the best of players like Brian O'Driscoll went from complete attacking to defensive um, like probably high halfway through his career his game was built on pace and then it went to defence so I, I do find that pivot interesting yeah well, um, there's a great example I'm not sure if you've seen The Last Dance but at one point yeah I mean if you see Jordan and he talks about it later on in his career he talks about how he used to sort of drive for the net early in the career and it was more explosive pace but he sort of learned to utilise his skill set more effectively within the game and that's an element of understanding and knowledge of how how can you play the game in a way which is more efficient to your skill set and I mean for me that I think that's such a good example of how as you age and maybe some of your physical attributes deteriorate your experience and knowledge can really sort of mature and it's almost you're getting these two curves and and one it's peaking much earlier and then the you know your physical attributes are peaking much earlier but your knowledge is still you know it maybe takes two or three years longer to develop and it's sort of where's that perfect overlap between the two to to get the ultimate individual yeah definitely yeah no it's a, it's a very interesting area i'd like to actually research it a bit more mm. but uh, moving on to the well-being happening on social media and Instagram um, to be more specific I just I think I think the well-being on, on Instagram especially like I think there's an awful lot of narcissism mm. involved in it and I think what's becoming very narcissistic is the whole uh, body positive movement mm. don't get me wrong there's some really good work being done mm. but some of the work that's been done is just completely bandwagon uh, jumping. You know, just they, they see a person who started it. And if you look at their posts in deep, the, whole, the one word or one letter you see the whole time is I or me. And it's a big long caption with, you know, whatever, their stomach out or something like that. And it's the post is more about themselves um, rather than actually promoting 
body positive image and there's don't get me wrong there's a couple of people who are doing it very well mm. do you know there's a couple of people just being honest themselves I seen it on Instagram the other day I know it was a Love Island contestant or whatever but like she, she, she obviously ate a lot during lockdown she couldn't fit into her jeans and her boyfriend was trying to lift her into the jeans and it was very <laughs> good do you know it's, it was like I know lockdown got me or something got me bad and like it's like do you know there's nothing there like that's that's, yeah, that's yeah. sending out a message there was another girl back in Ireland there's no game yeah there, there was another girl back in Ireland I, I was following and um, there was like you could see like don't get me wrong she wasn't overweight but like she was after she wasn't in shape she wasn't ripped or anything but like she was just sitting down and like you could see that like um, sort of whatever bit of fat hanging over it was just natural like anything but it was just like oh, I just had a, had a good day down by the beach or something like that, and I was like, you know, that's sending out a message. And I was kind of like, you know, fucking fair play to her. Like, you know, she she just didn't care. She just said nice day by the beach, and yeah, she wasn't in the best of shape. But I just said that sends out a message. Is like, you know, I'm not self interested. I'm not just putting up a big long spiel about how great I am for yeah, portraying yeah. this body positive stuff. So there's a lot of narcissism, um, and I'm very cynical of it as well because I think if they're only doing it now, they're doing it now because they appreciate that there's an audience that's supporting that you know you nowadays you get likes for you know showing a, a lot of a, it's, it's not proactive anymore like they do no, not it's completely it's, right. it's uh, like you said it's reactive you all of a sudden they're following the crowd and what the crowd wants rather than actually saying these are my values and regardless of what anyone else thinks this is what i believe is important and what i'm going to act out and like you say that idea of narcissism and oh, it, it, the social media it's a messy one in general but there's a lot of games being played and a lot of it's very disingenuous and I mean, you know, there's some, there's plenty of issues which are naturally occurring in our lives without us creating more as a society. And yeah, it, it yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, and I think the biggest element of it, which I have a personal sort of vendetta against is these people are role models. And, you know, you see nowadays younger children who are, who are copying them and you just got to think, well, what sort of society do I think well, what do I think society should be like and how am I actively shaping that society to to be along those values? And I think nowadays we're seeing a lot of people who, who don't have any genuine care for what the bigger picture will look like. And, you know, if you have a thousand followers or, you know, a hundred thousand followers, that those are people that you can influence and shape their thoughts. And like you say, it's, how do you want to do it? Do you want to do it for your own personal gain? Or do you want to do it to try and create a better society? And look, it's a tricky one because obviously for a lot of these influencers, it's their it's their their livelihood. Um, it's a job. But I mean, I'm not sure if you saw with, I think it was Boohoo, but uh, they were essentially using illegal employees and paying them significantly under the minimum wage. And I think it was something like five pounds per hour. And then all of a sudden you're getting an influencer who's posting an ad for them, who's getting, you know, God knows how much per ad. And then you see the that same influencer has like a black a blacked out square, you know, the Black Lives Matter square. And it's this it's this incongruence of, well, how can you say that a human life is valuable on one side and then support a business which is abusing you know a, a human life? And it's it's completely I mean, I, I really sort of lose my head over this one, but you know, we touched on corporate social responsibility earlier, but everyone has an element of responsibility. You know, every 
pound you spend, you're either su- you're supporting something. You're saying I want to buy this product and what it stands for, and you know so exactly. You're buying more than the product. You're, did I say you're buying yeah. way more than the product? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, for example, uh, my parents. Um, I remember one time that my dad and I was talking about when we were in Doombeg going out and playing the Trump Hotel, and you know, it's kind of one of those ones where it's like, well, you know, I don't really agree with what he's been doing, um, and you know, I think some of it actually I wouldn't condone. So why would I go and play there when I can play somewhere else? And it comes back to i think you have to make a sacrifice right if you believe in something uh you you have to sort of be willing to stand by that whether it suits you or not and i think nowadays people are trying to have their cake and eat it where they're saying that you know i'm i'm going to pretend to care about something but if it's not in my interest then i'm not going to follow that through and i think that's where we need to be you know held more accountable as individuals and i think that's probably one of the biggest um voids in our society at the moment it seems like and we know obviously online is a different story where you get this diffusion of responsibility you know this sort of crowd anonymous effect where you can say something without you know i could tweet you and say something which i wouldn't say to you face to face and there's a big like there's a spectrum Mm -hmm. and there's there is a spectrum on social media and there's no middle (laughs) you know on one side you have the like done up models male and female ripped yeah. as fuck uh, and you know fake tits and all that stuff yeah. and on one side and we were looking at that for years like you know and for ages we're like Jesus will you show us something normal like show yeah, me a few yeah. stretch marks or something like that <laughs> <laughs> you know like it's like will you show us just something life related and then we're going completely over then to the other side of it yeah, yeah. where it's like I'm going to show off and I don't give a fuck but actually I do give a fuck you know anyone who says on social media that they don't care what people think of them mm. they do care what yeah. people think of them they're just saying that to come across as the independent man or woman the concrete yeah, yeah. person when in fact their whole thought process is built up of what other people think of them whether you're getting a new hairstyle or you're going on a cheaper holiday than u- usual do you know whether you're getting a new style of clothing. You're always constantly thinking, what are other people going to think of me when I buy this? Mm. Well, you know? go- Even a, a lad, if he's getting his girlfriend or when a girlfriend is meeting a new guy, they're going to think, what are my friends going to think of this? Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So, so like any, any, anyone, you can't win. And anyone who says uh, they don't give a fuck what people think are just... Uh, ludicrous, but well, the, there's no middle spectrum. It's just one mm. or, the, or, or the other. It's just it's and a weird time, and it. But that that them two girls I was telling you about, the one who's just pulling up the the her her jeans and stuff with her boyfriend, just having a laugh, like that's sending a message. Like, and the girl on the beach just doing a normal thing with no big long spiel. That's mm. like that's and people hit, that's hitting the middle. Like that, yeah. that's like doing it right, you know. And people know when they're being genuine or when they're playing a game. But I think, like you were saying when people are posting they're probably doing it to for attention and to go back to the Hawthorne studies it's like people want to have their esteem recognized you know they're motivated to do so and it's at what point are you trying to pursue that attention and then at what extent will you go to to receive that attention and I mean it seems like it's just working its way down where you know sex seems to be a huge driver of uh, attention and you know nowadays there's people wearing nothing and you just think Jesus like you know if if my girlfriend was taking photos like that I'd be horrified man I'd be like Jesus you know (laughs) or if I like (laughs) 
Um, I mean, well, guys, I, guys, guys are worse than Instagram. Do you, like, if you look at some of these guys, like they're way, way worse. Like, you know, just some of the stuff, and like the the body positive stuff. Lads are doing it as well. Like, they're just just doing it all wrong. I think lads um, are really bad at it. Yeah, you know, I'm uh, laughing because I, I need to be careful what I say here because um, you could be getting the P forty five off your missus, man. I, I was gonna say usually I'm pretty private, but a few years ago I'm gonna say it was for charity why I did it, but we. It was a bit of a laugh with a few lads and we had a, a really terrible act in, uh, injury actually with one of our former players Sam um, Fish I, I didn't actually play with him but a lot of the guys in the club knew him and he ended up a uh, full uh, quadriplegic and we did uh, a charity calendar to raise some money but um, I <laughs> I ended up stripping off and kind of getting the baby all so uh, ah, that's, I, different. <laughs> that's different that's different that's all yeah. I, I told myself as well you're not like you're, you're not going to a pizza yeah it was it was one and done yeah, yeah, for me wearing so. speedos and a pizza <laughs> and just getting the best picture ever like you know mm. it's uh, but I think there's another important element as well which is not everyone's posting and you say where's that middle ground i think you know a lot of the middle ground is they're the accounts that are private and they're the ones who just want to share some good memories and some good photos with people they know and trust but the way the algorithm works is we see the people with huge followings and they're the ones who are putting out that material so it's it's called a survivor but uh, a survivorship bias and the sort of They're, them people are working for Instagram they might be yeah. getting paid off them directly but they're yeah, working yeah. for Instagram yeah you, you exactly know? and I think whenever you're using those platforms you have to be mindful that you know it's not if you were to do um, statistics it wouldn't be an accurate representation of the population you're taking a skewed uh, measure and then you're assuming that that's real life um, but it's not and I think being aware of that and reminding yourself and there's other things you need to remind yourself of when you use social media. And one of the one of the biggest drivers of negative um, effects of social media is social comparison. And it's this idea that we've evolved as a social species. And what that meant is in order for us to live um, collectively in harmony, we have to socially regulate our behaviors in relation to others. And in order to do that, we compare, well, this is me and how, how am I acting and behaving in relation to to Andrew and you see it so much in um, like young couples who their friends might have got their deposit for their house and mm. house oh. and then they might have a kid yeah and uh, then they're like well why aren't we why, where's our house where's our kid yeah yeah and yeah people panic and I think with the problem with Instagram is you're comparing yourself to something that's not real. You know, I, I recently found out that these people airbrushed their photo. I mean, I was shocked, Andrew. I, I, and then when I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. I was like, Jesus, every one of them is at this. And, you know, for a, you know, a young 15-year-old, you know, girl or boy, if you don't know that, that's hugely damaging to your, your self-perception, your understanding of, you know, beauty or, or value even and you know, some of these things are particularly damaging we we do a lot of work with schools and part of it's actually addressing so anxiety and stress stress conditions that are brought on by exams they create a negative um, impact on cognitive performance so we go in there to actually try and give them strategies to overcome that but also pastoral work to help kids deal with things like social media because growing up to nowadays is completely different to how you and I grew up you know the challenges they face are, are completely different and it's interesting culturally yeah well just the problems millennials face in general is hugely different and for example you know I think 
it's something like a house is now 10 times your salary whereas it used to be something or you know it's it used to be it, three or four yeah it used to be three or four but especially then, in the uk and ireland you don't have that mm. um you don't have that distance really but in the uk in london anyway, you're having a chance man on this unless you're uh either from old money or you're after hitting the jackpot yeah you having a chance for the regular joe soap yeah and it, it's tough because again on instagram or whatever it is you're always comparing yourself to the apex of it and you're seeing the fellow with you know ferraris and a mansion and you're thinking god here am i in my rubbish flat with no back garden and <laughs> i have to stay in lockdown this whole period but um yeah i think it's uh it's definitely quite damaging but being able to understand actually what's happening behind the scenes what's really going on you know things like understanding it's not an accurate representation of the population you know all those tools help to situate it for what it actually is and i think as well there needs to be an element of understanding how this plays out over the long term and you know we don't know what happens to influencers when they're 40 when they're 50 when they're 60 well, yeah i think the like the influencer stuff i researched that quite a lot and i do think it's an effective form of marketing um if it's aligned with the right person um but you're seeing stuff there's a lot of problems I have with influencers one of them is they're representing brands that have no real affiliation with their work or their business like I've seen some Love Island girl that one from Newcastle I think she was the bombshell or whatever her name is and she came up in my whatever feed the the, the feed the magnifying uh, glass do you know one. what the, the best post or topic oh, yeah, yeah. I forget what it's called it's gone completely out of my head I should know what this but um and she's advertising um, effects trading software. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like, you'd love it if you did a video where she yeah, was talking about yeah. it. I was like, are you for real? You, like, you know, you're a model uh, and you're advertising effects uh, trading software. Um, but on the other hand, you have a lot of these influencers who don't have any other platforms to stand on. So Inst- Instagram is going to go away. Yeah. Like like Facebook went away. Facebook now is forty to sixty five. That's probably the main demographic using Facebook. Instagram is eventually going to move away from that. Eventually, it will. It might take another few years, but it's going to gradually move on. And something else, TikTok. I, yeah. I don't like TikTok, but it's doing well. Um, but them influencers, as time goes on, they're not as good looking. Do you know all these lads and these girls like six packs now and, and whatever. Um, they're not as good looking in 10 years time um, the platform doesn't have the same reach or same engagement and there's no other platform to build it up so their career can go downhill quite fast you know you don't even exist anymore that's, that's what could happen you know unless unless you really start building other um building other blocks mm. well it's it's really interesting and even to go into the psychology of it we we have these reference points for our life and if we say for example you get your like my first i, I want to talk a little bit about value and and uh, motivation as well at some point but the, to give a big we five minutes left i'm sure so get it in fast we'll get it in quickly <laughs> but um yeah i mean we essentially have this reference point where our value changes so if you get a a, a job offer for 20 grand as a graduate you're like, oh my god i'm i'm loaded and then you get 30 grand and 20 grand was nothing but and then you have to pay your rent and then your your loans yeah, yeah. but our, our reference yeah, point like changes beans and toast yeah <laughs> <laughs> the cheese as well yeah, yeah. but um as as our reference point changes it moves up and up so we we lose the value for the things that we used to appreciate but the other aspect of it is as humans we're loss of us so we we experience loss more strongly than gain so what happens to these people who used to go from earning a hundred grand a year through ads and promoting to earning nothing 
because they're no longer popular and and you know they they started to spend their I imagine a lot of them started to spend their money as if they had this 100 grand salary and then how do you come back from that what does that do to your mental health and you see it within sport as well where a lot of people struggle with that loss of identity where they go from being a, an international rugby player to you know Joe blogs in the office in HR and it's it's really tough so I think with anything you you want to be on an upward slope throughout your career and that's why knowledge-based careers are really important because it's something you accumulate and gain and again I think it's hard to understand how these things play out in the long run if you're you know 20 30 years old and you won't hit the peak of your career till you're 50 60 from a knowledge perspective but you're having that faith that in the long run that is how it plays out and that actually you need to sort of back yourself keep working hard and if you do the right things that it will pay dividends definitely like when you brought up that I would just say um, like even playing careers and you were just saying you're kind of going from this high down to a low again mm. um, like when David Wallace was on he was mm. just like when he finished with Monster Ireland it's just like kind of good looking thanks yeah, yeah. Do, do you know that that's it so like yeah. do you know and like he didn't struggle he enjoyed his retirement mm. but there's people who do struggle with that mm. but uh, Sean we must uh, finish up man it's been a pleasure thanks yeah, for, no, thanks thank for coming thank you so in. much and uh, yeah take care of yourself best of luck with everything cheers thanks Andrew take-